Is your employer doing enough for your health and well-being? Statistics show probably not. While the majority of U.S. workplaces do have wellness programs in some form, most employees say that their companies could and should do more for their health and well-being. Employee wellness programs have well-documented positive effects, yet some employers are skeptical about adopting them, and many employees' participation rates in these programs are not as high as they could be. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about employee wellness programs, their origin, prevalence, and effectiveness, as well as some thoughts and ideas on how to get your company and employees to take a more active and collaborative role in employee health. This is the Strength for All podcast, and I'm Johnny Reps. This is episode 40. So when we talk about corporate wellness or employee wellness or company wellness, which will be terms that I'm pretty much going to use interchangeably during this podcast, what exactly do I mean and what exactly am I talking about? Well, employee wellness programs can have various different forms and they can incorporate a huge variety of different things. For example, a company wellness program may involve gym memberships. That's They might provide assistance in finding gym memberships or they might, might have a uh, group rate at a gym or they may even have a company on-site gym to go to. That could be an example of one thing. They could also have, for example, uh, addiction counseling programs. Like the company could, sh- could if, if there's an employee who would potentially have a drug or alcohol problem, they could provide uh, rehab services. Even if it's a very large company, perhaps have a addiction counselor hired that works for the company. There's other options too as well, like grief and loss counseling, suicide prevention uh, counseling, Workplace and personal trauma counseling, relationship counseling, work-life balance type stuff, uh, depression help, uh, family help, the list goes on. Anything that you could think of in the realm of health and well-being could potentially be incorporated in a corporate wellness program or a employee wellness program. And they're actually pretty prevalent. Uh, over 50% of companies in the U.S. reportedly have some form of wellness program. And in mo- But in most surveys, despite this, companies are seen as not doing enough for employee wellness, and employee participation rates are not as high as they could be. Also, many corporations are unsure of whether or not wellness programs would actually give them any sort of financial benefit or if they would be the best course of action for their employees. Wellness programs could be seen as taking kind of like a tiered system, depending on how in-depth they are and the how in Uh, involved the employee and the employer's role is in the program and in the health of the employees. So the lowest level would essentially be an educational type wellness program. This could be stuff like the employer providing general uh, data or things about like employee health and wellness. Like an example of this would be if you have a, you have like an information packet or you have like a, you know, you pass have a newsletter, like a corporate wellness newsletter that tells you about the benefits of health and fitness. Not very involved, very low investment in terms of for the employee and the employer, but also not super effective. Essentially surface level stuff that's very, very general. And it's, it's again, more educational and informational than it is actually necessarily proactive. The second level is 
more of like a social slash community building type thing where employees uh, and employers have a variety of social activities that are designed to enhance uh, social and social and wellness relationships. Like, for example, if you have a, you know, some wellness workshops, you might have a regular like trainer come in and do like group classes. You might have like those type of things that are a little bit more in depth, but they're not necessarily uh, they're not as surface level, but they're not super involved yet, and they may not be regular. The next one is a social or community building by the organization, where a member of the organization takes ownership and control in improving the workplace and improving employee wellness. This could be in the form of, again, having workshops, having seminars, and trying to get the whole thing more cohesive and with a, more of a basis on employee employee health and wellness being improved instead of just, you know, putting the information out there and letting the employees kind of figure it out for themselves. Next level, we would talk about things like preventative care programs. So this is where it starts getting into like, this is where the real meat and potatoes of the, of the thing is where we can, we can make positive change. Preventative care programs could include health assessments and preventative screenings. Or like, for example, you could do have an insurance vendor or a fitness coach do a preventative screening or a kind of like a tests that tell you what the employee wellness level is. I know uh, there's companies in Canada who do this where they might have a one, one I, can't, I can't remember the name of it, it was a large insurance company, they kind of do a screenings, these wellness screenings of, of the employees and they give them point, a point-based system. Next up would be healthy habit development, which is kind of like organization-led interventions that encourage uh, healthier habits. So essentially, if you have uh, someone kind of managing this fitness program uh, of some kind that's outside of the employees that's outside of the managers in the company you actually have like external people managing and running the program and next would be a preventative care program which you partner with healthcare providers this would be more higher level you could partner with doctors and you have the goal of this is to reduce serious illness or disease and then finally you have disease management programs where you actually have like doctors on the site who are either caring for the employees or helping them overcome the or helping them set themselves up so they don't have to actually get care so they're try, basically trying to prevent disease through whatever interventions those might that would require um, so again, there's a there's a huge number of things that an employee wellness program can contain, but suffice it, to, suffice it to say that the more effective wellness programs are usually the ones that have more of an emphasis on do meeting the needs of the employees and also on being very interactive and community building. Like the type of stuff where it's just like, hey, here's a thing that you can do is like, here's a, a educational workshop you can go to. Yeah, great, but nobody really cares. Or, hey, here's an event that you can kind of attend, or here's an informational sheet, like here's something about your body weight, or here's a podcast to listen to, or even a newsletter, or even classes. They generally have a low participation rate. The goal of corporate wellness or of employee wellness should really be to get the employees to take a more collaborative approach in their own wellness. So how do we do that? I think it first makes sense to understand where did they begin? Like where did corporate wellness come from? Well, after World War II, the U.S. took a really different uh, approach to healthcare versus many other countries in the world, as we know. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s, many countries throughout the world started institutionalizing uh, their healthcare. They started having uh, government, either government-run healthcare or single-payer options. Stuff that was, whereas the U.S. decided to go to a private, mainly private insurance system, and 
over and over again, the whenever this question would come up in the U.S., it would most generally end up that, okay, we're just going to do private insurance. We're not really good at nobody. We don't want the government to do it because everything the government, you know, the government might not be good at managing it or, you know, whatever the various objections was, whatever the reasoning for it was, the government just never took control of the health care of the, of the citizens in the U.S. So a large portion of the burden of health care went on the individual. And then because of this, private insurance got much more popular. Rates of private insurance went up and up and up until the 90s, and then they actually started going down. And when companies started realizing that, hey, we can put this in our benefits package and attract better, maybe attract better workers, companies started putting uh, health care into their own employee benefits packages. And so that the private the ben- the burden of paying for the healthcare largely shifted to the employer after this happened the employer start the employer started realizing or and research started to uh come out in the 70s and beyond that uh, on the importance of wellness not just having care for people who have sickness or illnesses or ailments but also for prevention of these ailments and more and more research at this time, this was right when the obesity rates of the U.S. were starting to go up and sed- people were getting more and more sedentary. Uh, the, everything started to get more office, like people, a lot of people were working in office, offices and there were less physical labor jobs, increases, uh, increasing amounts of automation that we're still seeing today. And eventually, you know, we pretty much lost, uh, you know, a lot of our physical activity that we were doing and Everybody was realizing that we were moving less, we were sitting more, and there was this was a problem. So employers started realizing that, like, hey, if we take a more active role in our companies and the, empl- the, the health and wellness of our employees, like, that's more of a preventative type thing. There was more evidence coming out for this that lifestyle and disease prevention was really important. Maybe we can actually save money on health care. Re- just to summarize that, the real uh, origin story of corporate or employee wellness was companies realizing that they had a large amount of the burden when it comes to paying for employee health care costs. And they were basically saying, how could we reduce this on the back end by maybe investing a little bit on the front end in preventative? And then more and more benefits of promoting wellness were found. And other countries started adopting wellness other companies based in other countries started adopting some of these policies probably due to these other benefits that they found like we found that there was more morale like having a wellness program would increase morale like having employees that are generally healthy would make them more productive they would show up to work on time they would all of these other benefits that are not necessarily immediately financially tangible but for countries that would that tended to value work-life balance perhaps a little bit more than the U.S., these were very important to them. So this is the health and wellness program started getting more common in other countries as well. But the largest incentive for the health and wellness programs was pretty much the financial benefit to the companies. And is there a financial benefit to the companies? That's one of the questions that many people often asked and are still asking. I'll get into that in a little bit. So let's real quickly go over the prevalence and the spread of employee wellness programs. So as I stated, 50 to 70%, depending on the survey and what you classify as a company, of U.S.-based companies offer wellness programs slash incentives. The main benefits of wellness programs to employers are lowering of health care costs for, the, for U.S.-based companies because the health care costs in the U.S. are so high and companies shoulder a large portion of the burden. 
the number one th- reason why companies are in, in interested in in wellness programs is because they lower the cost of healthcare. Thirty percent of healthcare costs in the U.S. or at, at least thirty percent of the from the research I've done, at least thirty percent of the healthcare costs in the U.S. are paid by employers. So. We all know the U.S. healthcare costs are the highest of any developed nation in the world per capita. So, with such a huge amount being paid into healthcare, how do we kind of reduce that amount on the back end? That's the employer's interest in this. Also, other benefits include reduced absenteeism. You know, if people are healthier, you know, they're of a healthier body weight, they're active, they enjoy their job, they're not addicted to substances like some of these other. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, some of the other options with uh, health programs or wellness programs are addiction counseling and that type of thing. If if they are more, generally more physically and mentally well, they will not be taking days off of work as much, which will save money in absenteeism, whether it's between lost productivity or paying less in sick benefits and and stuff like that. And overall, like, I mean, we like our sick days. Everybody likes, I used to, when I had a job that had sick days, I used to like, when I had a job period, I used to like, uh, I used to like using my sick days, right? But like, in reality, if you're actually sick, that's not the idea. You want to use your sick days for like extra vacation, right? You don't want to use them for actually being sick. But people who are generally have a, a higher level of health and fitness will not need to use sick days because they will not get sick as often. Also, achieving a higher level of employee productivity. Uh, there's a concept in uh, productivity that's kind of essentially people who are not absent from work, but they are they show up to work, but they're essentially absent in the fact that they don't really do much work, right? So having people who are more generally more fit and more willing to do their job and happier in their position, again, physical mental happiness will make your employees more productive. There's research behind this. It reduces worker compensation and disability-related costs. If one of the number one causes of workplace disability is back pain, and guess what? People who train regularly have generally le- are less likely to injure themselves doing everyday activities. Physical and tangible benefits in the form of uh, reducing the compensation and disability costs. Like again, if your employees are more, your employees are stronger, your employees are healthier, your employees are more fit, they are partaking in regular physical activity. They are going to be less likely to have workman's comp uh, claims, they are less likely to have disability. You have to go on disability. As I just said, redu- reduction in injury. If you are in, a, if if the company has jobs in that involve physical labor, people who are, I always say this: if you can deadlift 300 pounds or 400 pounds, lifting any any type of normal lifting or physical thing that you have to do in your everyday work environment is going to be pretty menial in comparison when it comes to the load that you have to lift. So strengthening your back, strengthening your core, strengthening everything overall will reduce your likelihood of injuring yourself on the job, which again, less workman's comp claims, less disability, less lost productivity of workers. Finally, and this one's very important, uh, and this is probably the most intangible, but possibly also the most important, is improving employee morale and loyalty. Morale and loyalty, especially nowadays, is so important toward retaining employees, and the cost of training new employees is enormous. So if you're a business, from your perspective, do you really want to be training new employees because they're getting sick, because they don't like the fact that your company doesn't take their well, your wellness seriously, so they have, end up quitting, 
they they don't like the fact that they don't the company doesn't give enough benefits. They take a higher paying job with better benefits. Uh, benefits they don't like the company culture because it doesn't prioritize their health and wellness. It prioritizes the company's bottom line over their health and wellness. Is that really the type of uh, do you really want to have to deal with all these morale and loyalty issues because that can arise from doing that? And probably not. The final thing I want to note is that. From all the research I did, and I did quite a bit of research, as you can tell, I'm 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 actually I'm, I'm glancing back and forth on my notes as I'm doing as I'm doing this podcast. Anywhere between a three to one to a six to one ROI return on investment tends to be the seems to be the norm for health and wellness programs. So essentially, if you invest one, if, it, if a company invests one dollar into employee wellness programs, these various things that I listed between addiction, you know, addiction counseling gym memberships, group training, uh, educational workshops, all the everything else that it could fill the role of an employee wellness program, they generally will make a somewhere between a three to one or a six to one return on that investment, depending on what research you look at, between the lowering of healthcare costs, the reduction in absenteeism, the achieving higher employee productivity, reducing workers' compensation and disability, reducing injuries, and improving employee morale and loyalty, and less turnover obviously, that comes with all of those. So I think the next question would be if this is so, like if these wellness programs are so good and like even financially they look so good to the to the employers, like why is this not a no-brainer? Like why doesn't every company have a, a corporate wellness program and why are companies with corporate wellness programs or employee wellness programs not expanding their wellness programs and trying to take a more active role and get wellness programs that are more engaging for their employees. Well, let's talk about that. What is the engagement rate of employees? Like how many employees actually participate in wellness programs? And the numbers are, from what I looked at, they look like they're somewhere in the range of 30 to 40%, depending on the types of programs that they have. And there's certain things you can do to make the programs more attractive to the employees, but we'll get to that in a second. One of the main issues is that over two-thirds of the people are, sorry, not over two-thirds, pretty much exactly two-thirds of people surveyed in various surveys say that they're not willing to dedicate one hour to wellness activities daily. So if, if they you're like, okay, if we have a wellness program, but we want you to don't dedicate an hour, that's between like meal prep, going to the gym getting out and exercising, moving more, stretch, whatever the case may be, think just wellness related activities, how much time do people want to uh, put into it? Generally, it's not even it's, it's less than an hour, hour a day. So I think if you want to get employee rates of participation higher, you need to first understand the wants and needs of the employees. Understand the ones, and, and this is to me as a trainer, this is like such an obvious no-brainer. Like every single person I've ever worked with, every single group training event I've ever done, every single group, you know, boot camp and, and group class or po even posts I make on, on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or this podcast even, it's this, this, this podcast possibly being an exception to that. I, I try to do something that I think is going to be helpful to my audience. Not to say that I don't think this podcast is going to be helpful to my audience. I think it very much will be, but I'm just not sure if my uh, audience is going to be interested in this topic, but we'll see based on how this, this podcast does. 
but I think tailoring the needs of your wellness program to your employees is like so, so important. And further to that, there are some things that employees that uh, people tend to want more in their wellness programs. And the first thing is they tend to say that they want incentives in their wellness programs, like they want some kind of incentive for participating in it, whether it's a raffle or a prize or a, you know, a, a reduction in in payment on their benefits if they or sorry on their uh, their their premiums that they have to pay through their employer health care insurance whatever the case may be they want some type of like generally monetary reward or uh but it doesn't have to necessarily be a monetary reward it could be something like a parking spot right like if there's maybe whoever an example of this would be like we have a step employee uh contest of who can do the most steps and whoever in a month and whoever wins gets like the special parking spot, like the, the, the president gives up his park, his or her parking spot for a month to whoever wins this contest. That's an example of a non-monetary benefit. Or for, you know, you could do gift cards. You could do like, if you hire a personal trainer, you could do, okay, uh, we're going to choose three people and they get a free three workouts with the personal trainer, or they get a free coaching session or something like that. It seems to be like things that tie people, and this is true across the board, but things that things that drive engagement are things that tend to uh, incentivize fitness and things that tend to appeal to what people are naturally going to want to do. Because if your fitness program is like, hey, we have a gym on site, or like, hey, we offer gym memberships, guess what? All the people who are going to buy gym memberships anyway are just going to buy it through your company because it's cheaper, or use your company gym and you're not really going to get a higher participation rate in health and fitness. You're not going to get what you actually want from the uh, employee wellness program, which is you want the people who wouldn't participate normally to start participating. We want to up that participation percentage. And I think it's ironic that the 60% or about two thirds of people who say they will not spend an hour, it's somewhere in the realm of like, you know, 30 to 40% of people who do participate in, in wellness programs they are about even like so two thirds of people won't participate or don't want to spend at least an hour in wellness or at least an hour on their wellness and only one third of people participate in wellness programs. Do you see how this kind of lines up? Maybe the wellness programs need to be more tailored toward those people who don't want to spend an hour working out every day. Maybe the wellness program has to be tailored to the person who just wants to invest little time into working out. And you know what? You know what? If you're someone who's very fit or like you're someone who works out like five days a week or something, you might say, well, then they don't deserve it. I think that's bullshit. I think that they do deserve it because people – I think they deserve to know that even if you are not sticking to the highest level of standard, like even if you are not working out five days a week or even if you are not hitting like the current physical activity guidelines by the National uh, Department of Health and Human Services, which I always quote as being two times a week resistance training that train your whole body and all of its muscles and at least uh, two hours and 30 minutes of elevated heart rate, moderate to intense activity. If you're not, even if you're not hitting those, like it's better to do something than it is to do nothing and providing more options for employees to participate in wellness programs without them feeling like they need to be a top level performer for it to matter. I think that's the crux of the issue. And that's where we're missing a lot, a lot of additional benefit that we could be getting out of them. So that's how we remedy it. And that's, that's, that's the first step, I think, is acknowledging like employee needs and acknowledging that most people, uh, two-thirds of people are not even going to participate if you have a wellness program that's just like, you know, hey, here it is, whatever. 
but even and here's another thing though like it's similar to how i just said that people who are not going to participate in the wellness program are not going to are, are the same people who are who say that they don't want to put an hour into their fitness the companies who are like well you know i'm not going to worry about any of that or i'm not going to th- like think about the employee wellness are not the type of people who are going to implement a wellness program it's kind of like a catch 22 but at the same time for those type of companies i think it should be known it should be known that even doing something like even if your program is not perfect like even if it's like you know we're not maybe we're not going to get a 6 to 1 ROI or maybe we're not going to get like a 50% participation rate we're only going to get like 20% participation rate like the fact that doing something is going to be better than doing nothing we see this marginal benefit over and over again in fitness where it's like and and this is one of the reasons why the activity guidelines have been like consistently lowered because one of the issues with them is they're like okay we want people to abide by a fairly high level of physical activity and let them know that regardless of how how active you are you're probably not going to you're never going to max hit maximum benefit of physical activity but we also want them to know that even doing a little bit is going to do something. And similar, even having a little bit of a corporate wellness program, whether it's even if all you can muster is that educational level, because maybe the budget just isn't there, even though, again, there's good ROI, but maybe the, the putting the money in on the front end just isn't feasible right now. Uh, starting out with something is going to be a great way to get started, and it will improve employee morale and ask them for more. And then the employees will be more willing, and the organization, once you get something started, to then invest further in wellness because they would see the benefits of it if you just get started. I say it all the time with working out. If you just take the first step, that's what matters. It doesn't really matter what the first step is. It just matters that you have a first step. The last part of this podcast I want to talk about is if you are an employee or if you are a decision maker in your company, what do you do? How do you start a wellness program? Like, how do you get your employer in, interested? Or if you are a, uh, a boss or a manager, how do you start getting the rest of the organization interested? And how do you how do you go about building this for your employees? So. I think, first of all, if you are, regardless of who you are, the first step to do is you want to talk with your HR person or you want to talk with, if you don't have HR in your company, if it's a smaller company, maybe you want to talk with your boss or whoever the key decision makers are in your company. And because I, I, I can't stress this enough, it's important that you get support from leadership for this, because even if you know all the benefits of, of health and wellness, or even if you are a decision maker, but you're not the only decision maker and you know all the benefits of it, you need to appeal to those people in a way that is going to appeal to them, right? You can't appeal to them in a way that would appeal to me or a way that would appeal to yourself. So if this... If the leadership of your company is largely financially motivated, selling the benefits of the, you know, the six to one ROI or the three to one ROI or whatever number you want to say, just knowing that, hey, wellness programs have a great return on investment, that might be the angle you want to take. If it's someone who is more interested in having like happy and healthy employees, which they, you know, we would hope that most managers and most HR people would be interested in this, that might be an angle that would be more worth emphasizing. And I also think, you know, you want to try and plant the seed, like find the people or the person or the people who are in leadership who are most receptive to this type of thing and start out with planting the seed in those people's minds of like, hey, you know, wellness programs have a lot of benefits. Wellness programs, there's increasing data to show that they are helpful for improving all of these da-da-da, A, B, C, D, E, F, G metrics. So why aren't we doing them? 
maybe you don't want to come at him like that, but you say, hey, look, there's an opportunity here. That's a, a more positive way of, of framing it. Talk to your fellow employees. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that you probably talk to someone you work with unless you're, well, well, of course, a lot of people are still working from COVID from home now, but I'm assuming you, you, you still talk with people at some point. Talk to your fellow employees and see what they want. If, if, you, are an, if you are not a higher up decision maker in your company, but I think we oftentimes, and even if you are a higher, higher up decision maker, we oftentimes suffer from this bias, this type of bias where we tend to think the people we work with want the same thing as we do. We tend to think they think more alike to us than they actually do, which is not necessarily true. It's kind of like this bias of, I, I don't remember what it's called, but I've, it's, it's this bias where we think we think that people have more alike thoughts, when in reality, people have, have really diverse ideas and they have they think very differently on topics. And that's why it's important to talk to them, like talk to your employees and say, maybe your employees want something vastly different than you do on the on the wellness program. And maybe there's a, a middle ground that you can incorporate. Like even if you are a decision maker, if you if you have an idea for wellness that doesn't fit your employees idea for what they're willing to do, or what they want, it's probably not going to go over too well. And you're probably not going to get the highest level of participation rates. So I would really encourage to create an employee survey of some kind. I actually recently created an employee survey for a company I was talking to about uh, implementing some aspects of uh, wellness into their into their company. So if you want to see this survey, leave me and shoot me an email at the uh, email address in the show notes. The next thing I would say is well, when you survey the employees, you want to make sure that you're you're kind of lining up the employee desires with the company wants and needs, right? Like if every employee wants like a personal trainer and it's like, okay, we have 8,000 employees. We're not going to pay like $500 a month for every employee to have a personal trainer per employee. That's just obscene. We just not, it's just like, we don't have the money and resources for that. Like it has to be like, or like similarly, if the, the company says, Hey, we just want to do the wellness program and we're going to do this, but it's like, not what the employees like. They're like, Oh, we're going to have an onsite gym, but no one really wants an onsite gym. It's, it's like, we have to line up what the employees want with what the company wants and what the needs of and wants of both are and make sure that they are in line. Um, and the, the last thing I would note is like, you definitely want to be careful of the medical privacy of your employees. Yeah, screenings are great. Tests, uh, tests are great. Like having anthropometric measurements and stuff are great. If you have a third party company, ma company managing it, that's, that's great. But you do want to make sure that like you are not infringing on your employee's right to medical privacy. You are not infringing on anybody's rights to medical privacy and that anything that it's, it's a touchy subject and the laws vary depending on state province country you want to make sure that you are not uh, overstepping your bounds when it comes to trying to know stuff and you want to about your employees health and wellness and you want to make sure that the stuff is they're encouraged that they can be as open about anything as they want but it's not I think a voluntary impulsive wellness program would not be something that I would necessarily be in favor of or in addition to like saying we're going to tie like tying I think tying too much of the corporate culture to wellness there has to be a healthy balance there there has to be like a I would say a separation in ch of church and state almost where the again the the employees right to medical privacy the employees health and wellness uh their right to having health and wellness options the wants and needs of the employees and the wants and needs of the employers are all kind of balanced well with each other so once you get started with implementing the, you know, potentially looking into doing a health and wellness program, I also think it would be a good idea to find the wellness committee. Like once you kind of gather some data, 
work with either your if you have a social planning committee or if you have a health and wellness committee already work with them or create one whether it's like employees who who volunteer to do this or if it's you actually have like a some type of committee that is involved in any type of planning stuff that you have or even if it's just a group of the the decision makers who actually meet and talk about this and go over like what do we actually need what are the ones and needs of the organizations all the stuff that I just previously stated and also coming up with like a realistic budget and how much are we going to spend on this and if we think about it in terms of like ROI of anywhere from a 3 to 6 to 1 ratio like you and this you could think of it as coming out of the uh healthcare budget you could think of it as coming out of the uh you know activities budget you could think of it as coming out of certain other areas or you could just budget for it separately and the other thing i would make sure to be careful of is the short-term benefits of a health and wellness program may not be entire extremely apparent up front like it may take several years for the actual financial benefits to happen but if you do select the program that is appropriate for your employees then hopefully it would st it would start to have morale improvements and the intangibles would start to improve uh, immediately but after you have that all down, you can start looking for partners or vendors or a wellness company to work with. You could, again, hire a personal trainer. You could hire an external corporate wellness company that does specializes in, in this type of things. And, again, at the whole time, making sure that you are minding employees' privacy and that you are minding their uh, ability to have you know medical autonomy and all of that stuff. So what's the conclusion of this? Um, I think the first thing is... The, the the basic thing is like we want to spread awareness of the benefits of wellness programs we want to spread uh awareness of the importance of physical activity and we want to just spread the awareness of the idea that just getting your foot in the door or just starting with something is better than nothing and you don't need to have the perfect wellness plan or the perfect approach you know just doing a seminar or just doing like educational stuff is better than nothing and, it's, and it is a way to get started. It is a way to get the foot in the door. And then finally, that financially long-term health and wellness programs generally do make sense. And it's just all about convincing the employers and that this is, this is it, this is worthwhile, and then getting the employees and them on board and lining up interests. So I hope I've given you a decent overview of I'm, uh, I apologize if I was a little bit scatterbrained today. I I didn't I got up at 4:30 a.m. this morning. I only got about 4 hours of sleep, so my uh my my mind is kind of scattered today, but I hope you enjoyed the podcast and you got a little bit out of it and you got some ideas and thoughts on perhaps how to approach wellness if you are a decision maker in your company or how to maybe talk to other people in your company toward getting started uh toward having the uh your company take a more uh, direct role in your own employee health and wellness. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more about this topic or more about this type of thing, make sure you shoot me an email, leave me a positive review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, uh, all of your favorite social media platforms at Johnny Reps Fitness. Uh, I appreciate all of the follows. I appreciate all of the likes, and I always appreciate participation from everyone. I will be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then... Take care, everyone. Have a tremendous week.